inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook, a show about accessibility, advocacy, and equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. Outlook. Radio Western. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Outlook. This is actually episode 75. I don't always number our episodes, but we're getting up there. I bet you didn't know that, Carrie. You don't always number our episodes? Well, I don't give the number off at the top of every show. I actually have been doing that oh. recently on my music show. I'll say episode. <laughs> no, but I thought you keep track of it when we... Well, I, I like to keep track because I have a, a folder on my computer of all of our episodes and they're all up on our SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash Outlook on Radio Western. So oh, I yeah, it's exciting. 75 is a pretty good number. You know, it's getting close to 100. I don't know if we'll make it to 100 episodes by the end of the year. It's going to be pretty close. I think it might be, if not at the end of the year, the very beginning of next year. But um, right. yeah, so how are things? I know we left last episode with me on our outro theme saying that uh, maybe by next time you'll have your cat back and you seemed pretty pessimistic at the time so yeah you didn't did. you didn't get your you did not get your cat back then right i got i um for anybody who was listening the last episode or maybe the last two i uh, mentioned my cat ran away on me at the end of june and uh he was gone for two weeks and pretty much two and two weeks in a day or whatever and then i left my window open on downstairs overnight last monday night and so that was tuesday morning i guess at three in the morning uh i'd fallen asleep on my couch and all of a sudden i felt this creature hop up on my legs and then quickly hop off again and i i was pretty sure that my cat had found his way home but i was gonna say at the same time you never know what creature especially yeah not being able to see or even if you could see if it's in the middle of the night you might just kind of wake up and not look and just feel something so you might not even yep. know so I basically, I figured out it was a cat because I, I didn't want to spook him this because I had had that experience already uh, just outside my house a few weeks back with him. So this time I just sort of let it go and I, I got up a little while later to get a drink and he started meowing, but it sounded, it didn't sound like my cat. I, I sort of come to know the sound of his meows, um, but you know, being so you a thought, free cat thought it could be a straight, a stray cat made it came in that wasn't yours? Right. Well, you never know. It could have been. It could have been another lonely, lost cat that was malnourished, and I but had this wasn't, little bit of food out and a window open. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a skunk because it meowed. So. <laughs> yeah. You never know. So I had somebody come over. Luckily, my parents have been really great. Our parents, Brian, uh, have been really great. You know, sets of eyes and things. Um, so I called for my mom, to, our mom, to come check check out situation at like six in the morning on tuesday and so you, hadn't even, you haven't even you didn't even try to find him or touch him yet then no i was too nervous i didn't want to spook him and i wasn't even sure if i should go close the window i, don't, I overthink things yeah so do i so anyway yeah she came over and he was upstairs peeking at her through the railing and his meows have become less pathetic sounding uh and i think i have i'm still leery to touch him because i i'm wording it like He's like a stranger and an old friend wrapped into one. Like, I just, as a writer, my mind is constantly 
dreaming up where he could have been that whole time, what he was doing. Uh, but yet I don't know and I can't ask him. So I'm really curious about how that was and why he stayed away for as long as he did and what made him decide to come back in that window. But yes, I mean, it, as we said last episode, it's hard when you can't see um, so he's certain been little back, things like that. But. He's been back home for four and a half days and you, you still haven't touched him yet. No, I, I have, but I haven't like gone to pick him up or anything because the other night he started coming over and actually cuddling with me again. And I was on my couch with my feet up on my footrest and he decided to settle on the footrest. And then I went to go to get up a little while later and he hissed at me. And he and didn't, I, he didn't normally hiss at you before he escaped. No, he, he's never hissed at me in the house. He hissed at me. Like I said, there, that episode when he would, had been gone for several days and he was around again. And I tried too quickly to, to pick him up or touch him. I should have just did what I did with the window on Tuesday. Should have just left the door open. He might've wandered in even then, but anyway events overtook us and he was gone for another week before he came home but um yeah so i was just nervous i was like so what now you think you own like this footrest and how dare i disturb you and you're gonna hiss at me like i was worried it would be a, a continual yeah. thing well, I, th- I don't i don't know much about cats but i'm assuming it makes him a little more wild getting it like that but that over time being back in, he will settle down and won't be as yeah as... no he hasn't hissed at me since um yeah. i am still cautious like i try not to I mean, I always tried not to, but I, you know, occasionally I would step on him and he would go, Row! but I, but I occasionally, but I'm so now I'm a little more cautious, but I'm warming up to it. And he's, he seems happy being back in here again. I think, I don't know how do you really tell, but he hasn't been trying to desperately get out again. So. All right. Well, the cat, <laughs> anyway, the cat saga is kind of pretty much wrapped up then, Let's... I guess. We'll, we'll find out if he's becomes more friendly in the coming weeks, but. Let's hope there's no more drama, but yeah. yeah. Uh, or hopefully he doesn't um, get out again no. anytime soon. A lot going on. What have you been up to? Yeah, so um, this week was was pretty good. I ended up taking my taking a week off of doing a brand new music show just because I needed to catch up on a few things. Um, one of those things being employment. Um, I met with my, well, I didn't meet with her in person, but over the phone my employment counselor through Leeds here in London. And uh, it's tough in general to find a job even before all this pandemic stuff. And now she said the jobs that they were getting men- or notified through through their services and stuff have decreased a lot, obviously, since everything. I mean, maybe there's some new opportunities that come out of a, a pandemic or different jobs. There that are. There, before. there have been. So there is that. But in, in general, it's still, it's like anything. It's, it's always hard to find employment. So anyway. Certain sectors. Yeah. It's, it's like it always is. Um, but this was a good inspiration just to have this call. We talked a few weeks ago, um, but it hasn't been too often. So it kind of got me inspired to try to get working again on my LinkedIn page, which... I don't know a ton about, but I've learned is I'm, I'm sh- I know most people have heard of it and it seems as though most people have one. And I kind of actually did set one up a couple years ago, but didn't really do anything to it. So this week I did a whole bunch of updating on there, updated my bio, my skills, my education, my newest, newer jobs, my brief stint at the Grand Theater from last year, the treasurer for the Canadian Federation of the Blind I put up there. Both these radio shows, this Outlook show and my music show I put up there, my college stuff, music industry arts, everything. And just trying to make some connections on there because you never know. And people do find work through LinkedIn. And um, another interesting thing 
I was a little bit unsure at first. I was like, well, all this work I'm posting is volunteer. It's not actually paid work. And then I did, also didn't know if I'm posting all this work, is is someone even going to think I'm looking for a job because ha- I have all this stuff going on? But <sighs> um, a friend of mine also mentioned the fact that generally you're more likely to get hired if people see that you have jobs than if, 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 if it's just if you have nothing there. So who knows? Yeah. Um, anyway, I'm just slowly building the network on LinkedIn. And uh, Well, I've, I've always found it kind of elusive, and I don't know why. I just, I mean, it takes a while for me to get used to a new platform. I, I'm still not used to Twitter. I still prefer Facebook over Twitter. And I wish that were different because Twitter is, is used by so many people for activism and for, for writing and all the things that I do. But I just, it doesn't, the whole setup, it, I don't feel natural when I'm tweeting and retweeting people and versus, I don't know. But anyway, LinkedIn is one of those things that it seems like there's there's like a, it's not talked about. It's it's a hush-hush secret place where it's just people more, go. It's more of a professional, serious kind of place. So people aren't as like, oh, I'm going to go on these. It's not like this hip, cool <laughs> thing for all the young kids to go on. It's, no. it's a bit more of a professional environment. But it is... From what I understand, it's kind of like a Facebook, just a, like a lot more professional, just based on professional skills and, and any of that kind of stuff. And just just a great way, I think, to really build a network of connections relating to your interests and your and uh, things that you'd be interested in getting involved in work related. So I just from what I've gathered so far, I haven't used it enough to speak too much on it. But I think it is well, a useful tool. And I hope it works for you. I hope it, I hope maybe I'll learn how you use it and I'll see what good use it can be because I've just I don't know. Yeah, and I don't I don't totally know yet. I just kind of set mine up and I've been browsing through different people and adding people right now. I think I have about 30 connections on there, but um you know, I know a lot of people have thousands, so I'm hoping uh. to add a lot more and you know, it could be a good place to to promote this show a little bit as well. Post mm-hmm. occasionally on there about the show, so yeah, just something I've been looking into. And then uh, cool. one other thing that we've both been starting to look into a bit, it hasn't started yet, is the virtual NFB convention. Well, I guess it kind of started since our last show last Monday because mm-hmm. they did have the what they call the Rookie Roundup. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> That's my favorite title for an event. Yeah, sounds funny. Um. So yeah, what did you think of that? That was this past Tuesday, so um, I guess yeah, almost a week ago. Yeah, um, I was confused because it's set so far ahead of the um, the rest. Yeah, of normally it, uh, if you're at the convention, it's just it's the first day of the convention. Yeah, so Brian and I both went to this in tw- uh, 2018 when we went to our so far our only in person NFB convention. Uh, who knows you know it's it's all virtual now um and who knows i know we're all hoping that by next year you know planning our cfb convention here in canada and the nfb everybody likes loves going to that it's a lot of fun people meet up with a lot of old friends and such an energy around that but you know this thing could go on who knows um it's i think it's a good thing to learn yeah you uh, never know for next year and it yeah. is really impressive when you see um everything that went into the to designing this virtual thing because you know this they had said at this rookie roundup that i think it was near the end of march they pretty much made the decision or beginning of april that they couldn't have it in person so they had a a few months here to design this whole platform virtually (sighs) and i think it's something that we can learn from as well for the canadian federation of the blind if by next year 
who knows, like you say, where things will be. We might want to have a virtual CFB convention next year. So at least this way it's been done already by the NFB. So, you know, we we would have some resources and some ideas of how to get it done ourselves, but... Yeah, but no, the rookie rookie roundup was pretty nice. It's funny though, being that it's virtual this year, it's you're sitting there. I'm sitting in my living room listening to the president of the NFB, and um, you know they're they're talking on Zoom, and a whole bunch of people are tuned in, obviously. But it just it feels different, obviously, because it, it feels silent, <laughs> other than their their speaking voices, um, and it's hard to believe that there are people joining this with you but um normally their uh attendance is about 3200 yeah i think they said the highest attendance so far was last year yeah last year when it was in vegas people want to go to vegas yay um we didn't make it there but it was still uh, pretty close last year though to the one in 2018 when we were we were in orlando i think it was only a couple hundred more or something last year i think so um but i heard that the tally this near year for people who have officially registered that's me, that's you, not everybody will have, there will be extras, but the official number was 7,251. Oh, wow, you had the exact number down. Well, I tweeted it when I heard it, I tweeted it out on our Twitter. Oh, I remember 7,200, but I guess I don't, I don't use Twitter, <laughs> going back to Twitter. I use Facebook and now LinkedIn, I guess, <laughs> a little bit, but I don't, I haven't used Twitter so that the much. So fact, the uh, fact that it could be anyway. virtual this year not so good obviously for so many reasons that hopefully there's not too many technology glitches and all these things i mean there's always stuff that goes wrong behind the scenes of these things there was at our little one and i I know there is their big one but um hopefully this all goes well Uh, it's just so yeah a bunch of people who would have trouble getting there for whatever reason in person they've obviously said oh this is my my time my year that i can sign up people can't afford it is really quite expensive to go traveling and staying in a hotel and there's so many things that go into it. So it, it does have its benefit being virtual and it can reach more people that way. And, mm-hmm. you know, there are, there are a lot of benefits. It's never going to be the same as being in person. I just, I still don't feel, even though I am a shy person and am introverted a lot of the time. And I like, there is a benefit to being able to sit on my couch and listen <laughs> to any of the sessions at the convention, even though in reality, I still would like to go to an actual convention. It's yeah. not quite the same, but we have what we, what we, uh, the tools we can work with right now so mm-hmm. so um yeah anyone listening the convention officially starts tomorrow as of this la- airing live which is july the mm-hmm. 14th it's five days long and i you don't have to register you don't have to have registered in the past a uh, few weeks ago to attend so if you look up national convention at nfb.org on their website, you can find all the info for it if it's something that interests you. Well, yeah, you um, just go to nfb.org slash convention. Right. Or it might be slash national convention. I forget. Uh, I don't know. That's what it showed today. I don't think so. Um, but it's, <laughs> I think it might be. Oh. But let's not get into a brother-sister argument on the That's air. not the information I was told, <laughs> but you never, you can't always trust that. Um, um, but yeah, you'd find it if you Google it. I went to their website. So it's also kind of neat. Um, and I realize most people, majority of people listening probably don't know anything about these conventions and it is hard to explain them unless you actually attend yeah. one, but this virtual one would give you a bit of an idea. Um, it's just kind of neat. They did, they did find an app. I think it's used, f- you can use this app for any 
Um, it's a for event events to hold events. Yeah, it's an event app called. Um, uh, well, some, something I, I, compass. I, at the I'm app store, I ser- on the app store, I searched crowd, crowd compass. compass. But that's then what it's officially. Name. That's what it's officially called on the app store is crowd compass. But when you download it, it it's called attendee hub. Anyway, <laughs> it confused a lot of people earlier today. We had our national. Um, call for cfb uh issues because of course canada is so big that it's we don't you know we're we're not big enough that we have groups individually and so we're one big group that we meet um but yeah there was a lot of confusion about what the app's called and why it's got two names well but from what i've heard search crowd compass um but i did download it today and it looks pretty awesome like right on the app here they there's an agenda link so i can click on that and it shows each day of the convention and all of the events that are going on. And then from there, you know, you can select the ones that interest you and make your own schedule. There's buttons in each event right to the Zoom meeting. So you can just click on the button and join in on the meeting. And uh, yeah, just from what I see of the app so far, it looks amazing. And I I can't wait to talk more about it once we've actually attended the event. Yeah, once we know it's all, all systems go. But also every year at these conventions, they have um, an exhibitor hall. Um, so yeah, that's, that's all... open most days from nine to five. It looks like yeah, you're reading it right now. Exhibit hall, and in there, yeah, they have tons of exhibitors. There's a list here of all of them that they have at the convention. But that would take the whole show to read through, pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. But it's just from like, you know, aids um, to all the way till tech- so much computer technology and crazy all all these technology companies that show up. Yeah, and it's it's also neat too. They have an, an attendees list here, so anyone who has signed up at this app, um, you can look at a list of everyone. And I, I guess if you you know you can meet people during any of these sessions and and add them um, to uh, to your contacts through here and contact them as well. So just such a great networking event, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how it all ends up turning out online here. But um, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> yeah, we'll be back um, to tell you about it. Not sure yet if it'll be next week if we'll be doing a show or we might be so busy with convention. We'll, we'll just we see. might need a we might need a breather. We might have one week off of Outlook, but um, either way, stay tuned and we will talk more about. Oh yeah, and one of the other things they have is that they so in person they would have organized these little off off the grounds tours. So this this year the uh, conventions in Houston, so they were going to have a bunch of NASA tours or not a bunch I guess, but like a few that you could go on and now they're doing that virtually too so if you want to learn about nasa and how that all works and yeah so they've really they've really done a crazy really converted it yeah but yeah there's time there's tons of stuff here like i'm just looking at the first day agenda here through this um crowd compass app and there's the employment committee meeting the new aph braille products and services target for all there's all sorts of Microsoft, what's new with JAWS and Zoom text? Those are screen readers for Windows. Anyway, there's just a ton wow. of stuff here. Yeah. it's It sounds like it's just as overwhelming as, almost as it is in person. Not that I've gone many years, just one, but it's, it's a very, very, an assault on your senses. But at the same time, like we said, anybody who, who cares about, Human beings, because we're all human beings, and if you're curious about 
you know, some of the issues that people who are blind do deal with. Like we said, they have very neat technology and you could learn so much. Um, even just checking it out one year, you kind of become sort of hooked on it. Yeah. And the nice thing as well is you can do this in person, but it's even faster with being virtual now with Zoom is if you go to a meeting and this happened to me when I was at the one in Orlando a couple of years ago, I, I think I went to one of the Microsoft ones. I was like, I've switched to Mac now for the most part, but you never know when you might still need to use Windows and it's just good to be aware. So I went into the, the seminar and sat there for about a half hour, but it just wasn't for me. So I could easily discreetly get up and, and uh, leave and go to a different session. And the same is mm-hmm. here with the, these Zoom ones. If, if it's something you're not interested in, instead of having to make too many decisions, you can, you can try out one session. If it's not for you, you can switch over to a different one. It's just- yeah, nobody's offended if you leave the Zoom session. Yeah, for sure. So it'll be interesting. Yeah. So that's NFB 2020, I guess, is the hashtag and things that they're going with. Yeah. So I don't know if any of our listeners would be recommended to to look this up, just get a bit of an idea. I know there's tons of things. Everyone has their own lives and is doing their own things and yeah um, and such. But uh, just... Well, everything's, everything's over Zoom these days, uh, virtual, which you know, has its good and it's bad. Uh, but yeah, sort of the, the topic I wanted to talk about for the rest of the show sort of ties back to these sort of conventions. And when people ask the question, well, what are they for? And what do you, why do you need the, that? And why would I care? And why would so-and-so care? What does it have to do with with this or that, right? It, it's all connected, so. Yeah, we were mentioning last week, um, you had thought about starting this topic last week, but we had so many mixed things to catch up on. That last week's show was just called Mixed Bag, and we covered various things. But you, you did mention briefly that you were reading a book, and I guess now you've finished this book. And so we were going to talk for the next couple, few minutes here and then take a break and then finish up the last half hour of our show with discussion on a book that you just finished. Uh, and I haven't read it, so I will have to ask you a lot about it, which is good because the point of... Uh, it's just another way to learn. Yeah. The point of the show is to educate everyone on this on this stuff. So, yeah, I guess if you want to take a few minutes to talk a little bit about this book and what inspired you to read it. And... Yeah, so as I said, I've been doing these virtual Crip Camp sessions um, every Sunday at 5 o'clock on Zoom since May, and it goes all the way to the end of August. Uh, and it's obviously... It would have been hard to do this in person anyway. But anyway, with the pandemic, they made it um, virtual. And it's based on this documentary on Netflix called Crip Camp, Crip, C-R-I-P. It's not about gangs, the Crips. It's, uh, you know, it's the term cripples, which is is not uh, an acceptable term these days. Uh, But it's like certain words, and people can have this argument, but a lot of people who are disabled feel they can use the word so it's become a bit of a a, a a cry for human sort of civil rights lately with the term crip so this documentary inspired this virtual crip camp so it's executive produced by barack obama and michelle obama and so i mentioned that a couple weeks ago on our session barack obama showed up on the session and uh her name was judy Hoy- i guess you pronounce it hoyman uh her, it's german but um she is another dis- she's a disability activist who's been doing activism for many many years 
And she happened to be on the call because she was featured in the documentary. So they wanted to have her as like a famous guest. And uh, then she mentioned that she had a book out. So I, I went in search of it and I found it on my on Apple Store. And I decided to, I decided to read the audiobook. Um, I like reading Braille with my Braille display a lot. But I felt this in this case, I wanted to hear it through her voice, which yeah, I, think it I heard it through the narrator's voice. <laughs> right. I mean, she actually reads the book in this audiobook. No. Oh, she doesn't. No, so that's the thing. That's like, one thing you know, I was. She, I, I thought for a minute maybe she did, and that's what I was going to point yeah. out. Is it's, I I don't really check out many audiobooks, but if it was the person who wrote it reading it, I would be a little more inclined. No, in this case, I don't think she felt comfortable enough reading it. Uh, so right. she she would rather have a narrator. But once they start listening, you sort of you hear the person's personality through their words, and you start to almost yeah. believe in your head these that people that voice are, is. Generally speaking, I'm sure it's a mix, and I don't listen to enough audiobooks to have a full opinion but it's like anything it's you get used to a certain person and and these people are are they have a lot of practice doing this so oftentimes they're probably pretty good at it and yeah i mean she is a she's a public speaker and things but i mean i read michelle obama's audiobook i listened to that a couple months ago and she read it which was nice because she's got a very um comforting voice but um yeah just anyway the book is called being human because basically you see the name, name you think it could just be human it's an interesting last uh, name human yeah it is even if it's not pronounced exactly like that so it's called being human an unrepentant memoir of a disability activist um and, and that's yeah by, i didn't quite it's by her name again judith hoyman right yeah judith or judy yeah um i wasn't sure what to expect but I knew it was going to be inspiring. The question is, inspiring in what way? Like, I heard someone tell me recently, great, we hear that a lot from able-bodied people all the time. Disability, oh my God, you're so inspiring. But what is it inspiring you to do? If it's inspiring for inspire, inspiration's sake, then it sort of branches out into what we talked about here. Um, you know, <laughs> disability porn is the term or or some such thing like that where so it made me as i was listening want to um do something yeah so it's kind of it's two different types of inspiration someone might be inspired if if to 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 read something and just be like wow that's so amazing but if if it doesn't actually um give that person this inspiration to where they feel like oh this inspires me so much i have to do something or it makes me want to work towards something then that's that's definitely a different inspiration. Like you know, you would hope yeah. if something's inspiring enough that it does translate and allows you to into action or into sort of, some sort of action, which could be various things. Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't want to just read about what's going on with Black Lives Matter. I want to help in any way I can, and and, and any of the things I've done so far that have hindered rather than help something. I want to remedy that in as best I can, and you have to because, as I as I read in the memoir, it's all tied in together. There are people of color who have disabilities, of course, so these things overlap, right? Yeah, for sure, it's all all interconnected, which yeah, ties so back to our intersectionality. It well, it does, and it ties back episode. to why do we. Why do we care what someone else is going through? Because that could be us one day. Because 
they're human beings and that's enough that they deserve us caring for that reason and of course we can't care about everything and we can't fix everything and we can't well it's not even that you can't care about everything but you just yeah you can't you can't you can only be involved in so many things and if you want to give so many people just get overwhelmed and then they don't do anything yeah well that's that's i understand and i can understand that to a degree as well um but you know you hope that you would get inspired and you're clearly going to focus on it's like this show our main focus is blindness because we are both blind and it's something we can speak most about but we still want to cover all disabilities not just just blindness but yeah that's definitely part of it also all right well let's take a little break here and we will come back and get deeper into the discussion on judy hoyman's book being human an unrepentant memoir of a disability activist she's unrepentant awesome we will be right back Welcome back. You are still listening to Outlook here on 94.9 CHOW Radio Western. My name is Brian, and my sister Carrie is here too. I am here to talk about a, a an audiobook I just finished. Yeah, we will Call- pick up where we left off with Carrie's book review. <laughs> yeah, um, it's called uh, it's called Being Human: An Unrepentant memoir of a disability activist so a bit of a long title yeah being humans <laughs> easy to remember it is yes for just sure remember being uh, human by by judith or judy hoyman judith or judy hoyman yeah two ends um so it's actually a really sweet start to the book um she she was born in 1947 i believe and uh, when she was two, she contracted polio, which back in the late 40s, they had, a, they had outbreaks in um, North America. A lot of kids uh, were affected. So after she recovered, she was unable to walk. So she was, she was a, um, a quadriplegic, technically. She had strength in her arms when she was young, and she sort of lost that over, over time. But um, so, yeah, so she grew up in the 50s in Brooklyn, New York. Um, raised by two German parents, and her parents had been in Europe, in Germany, during World War II. Or, no, they were there before World War II when things are starting to get bad. And they had family that they were sent off to live with in America, both her parents. This is before, obviously, her parents would have met each other, even. They were both sent just to get away from the danger, and so they ended up losing their, their family in the Holocaust. So Judy has this whole thing that she starts with by talking about uh, how strong her parents were to come over live with strangers but yet also what her life would have been judy if she had been born 10 years earlier and in germany and she had gotten a disability like polio she would have been killed so she starts out with a very poignant story in that way makes you see what importance human rights must have civil rights why people fight so hard for it why others like in our current mood some people are you know like well, what's the whole big deal with the protesting like this is the kind of thing that causes protests so that's really sweet and um basically her first chapter is her at five years old and she basically starts the way a lot of kids with disabilities hopefully will learn about the world and hopefully kids in general you start learning basic things you start learning your way around your own house or your yard and so basically she describes growing up in this very tight-knit community in Brooklyn. So and she, she was, I don't she know was if in I'm, a little manual wheelchair. If I missed it, but she wasn't 
she wasn't blind, but she was in a wheelchair. Yeah. So she's yeah. No, she's not blind. So that's okay. why we cover. We yeah. Co- I think we, I said, like we, said cover... we cover a wider array of disability issues because it. Uh, even though they have their differences, they have their differences from from blindness or whatever. There still are similarities as well. And they, oh yeah. And they like we said before, they can connect. Someone can be blind, obviously, and in a wheelchair. Not that I need okay. to say that for sure. Ob- pretty obvious, but you know, you might not even think about it. But basically, it's just her mother gives her um, gets her out on the um, on her front step, and she's growing up in the fifties at a time when there was no accessibility, pretty much to be found. So she was in her manual wheelchair. Uh, electric electric wheelchairs wouldn't be invented for a couple more years, and she wouldn't get one until she was in college or after, just after college. So she's this little girl. Her mom sets her out on the sidewalk in front of her house, and she's trying to get to her neighbor's house so that her little friend who lives next door can come out and play. But basically, she describes this little incline in the sidewalk, and she got all the way up it, because her mom was one of those parents kind of like ours that sort of wanted their children with disabilities to develop more independence and things and not rush in every time they had a, a problem to be yeah, solved. Run in. Oh, my God, what do you mean? What can I do? Oh my God! Because once you, the, once they can't be there, and you have to face something on your own, you need to have that belief in yourself that you can. So she gets all the way up this incline, and then she lets her hand off her wheelchair for a second, and she slides all the way back down. Yeah, you probably get really. Oh my God! I made it up. So you're not thinking straight, and then. Yeah. Well, she said she stopped to brush some hair out of her face, which right. I do that all the time when I'm yeah, walking, and it's thing. distracting when I'm trying to use my cane. But I also hate the wind and hair in my face. So she, anyway, then she gets, she makes it up again. She, she collects herself and does it again and she gets up. And she gets to her friend's house and there are these steps up to her friend's front door. And nobody's out on her street at all. So she has to call from the top of her lungs and look up at her friend's window and try and get someone's attention in the house. And then her little friend runs, friend runs out and plays. But she just describes how her and the neighborhood kids growing up she didn't feel different until she was a little bit older because she didn't realize that there was anything else. And she was accepted where she lived on this one little block. And then she has to um, face the wider world when her mother tries to enroll her, enroll her in school. And she's told Judy is a fire hazard. Her wheelchair is a fire hazard, right? Mm. So that's the kind of thing they were telling kids not so long ago. And her mom Eventually, the school board sent out a tutor that came twice a week. And this is this little girl who's, who's a voracious reader. She wants to learn. And she's getting instruction for like an hour or two twice a week. It's just not enough. And it's something the school boards do thinking that it you know, looks like they're doing something. So anyway, eventually they get her into the school. And her parents do it. Her mother, uh, her father's busy at their um, family uh, butcher shop. Um. But her mother fights and talks to, uh, finds other parents with kids who have this polio and all this stuff. And, and they find out that certain schools in the district have set up special disabled classrooms that you can send your kid to. And she'd started doing that. But by that point, she was in the fourth grade. So that puts you behind, right, when a school does that. Yeah. And I don't know if we've talked too much on this show about the, the special class for people in a school and. Mm-hmm. I don't know a ton about it because we, for the like, you know, we, we were integrated and we were in the actual classroom with an ass, just an assistant sometimes. Um, so in some ways, it's it's better than nothing because at least at that point you are in the same school as the other people, but it still keeps you separate. And uh, well, that's what they were going by. Eventually, they realized, okay, people want 
this right or this right. So we're going to call this separate but equal. So they're still segregating. And Judy's point in the in the story is that for a long time, and even still today, people with disabilities are hidden. Back when she was born, her her pa- parents were told to put her in an institution, and they didn't do that. But back then, that's just what a lot of families did, and and a lot of families just didn't feel like they had a choice. It's no you know no blame placed on it. It's just the time. No, and I can and- understand it. Like I mean, I can't totally understand. I haven't been through it myself as a parent, but. It's one of those things when you're in that situation, you're scared, you don't really know what to do, and when that's what most people are doing, then you end up just, yep. you know, that's why I, I never judge someone for the decisions they make, because I think a lot of times it's just an edu- education thing that people just aren't aware of things and aren't in, everyone's in a different situation, so. Yep. So anyway, she attended school, and she she was still fascinated, because they could hear the kids running up on the floor above them running around and they could hear them running outside, but they weren't allowed to go outside. And the teacher would make them have a nap time every day. And Judy would be thinking, well, you know, I'm 10. I haven't had a nap. I hadn't had nap time since I was four. Why am I, this is time we're wasting that I could be learning. And it was just easier in a class full of kids with different varying disabilities, different ages. They didn't, they didn't expect them to achieve anything other than including them right now but yet including them, but separating them. So Judy helped a lot of kids who were behind learn to read and things. And then she actually made it into her mainstream high school. But it's the kind of thing I could relate to when she talked about in, in after class, she would need help because there were, there weren't ramps easily accessible. She needed some help with steps to get up into the washroom, things like that. And she, she has a scene where she asks a classmate, uh, and she's panicked. And I always had that feeling, too. If I was sort of confused about where my classes were and I needed some some maybe assistance and you feel like you, you don't want to burden people. But yet, if you don't ask, you can't get a yes. And she and asked this particular girl and the girl was like, sure. That's what I mean. And it, d- it depends how big the school is, too. But it's a problem that mo- like practically anyone has when they start a big, bigger school is finding yeah. their class, whether they can see or not. And it yeah. is it is a self-conscious thing or some people it's not always easy to do but you generally do find people are helpful when you and when you just go ahead and ask so she finishes high school and she she actually gets an, an award and her family they travel to where the ceremony is being held and her dad tries to push her wheelchair up on stage where everybody's accepting their awards and the principal's like sorry there's no ramp she doesn't need to go up on the stage keep her down here in the front row on the ground and her dad was just adamant, and she got embarrassed and wanted to go home. But he's like, no, she's going to get her award, and she's going to accept it up on stage like everyone else. But yet, this was another scenario where they it was just too much hassle, and once they want to hide you, they don't want the wheelchair to be seen. So at, at the time she grew up, there, were just, there was a lot of shame around disability, and there still is in certain families and in certain places. So after high school, she goes to college near her home. And she makes several moves across the country throughout the book. Uh, eventually, she moves out to California because it's a lot more disabled-friendly out there. Um, but first, she actually goes to court. And this is the kind of thing you and I talk about a lot, that for a lot of these changes to happen in society, somebody does have to fight for them. They're not given them freely. And that often does mean having to file lawsuits and, yeah, and, and go even to court. With, with these organizations, like the Canadian Federation of the Blind that we're involved in, there are some lawsuits going on, and it's it's one of those things that 
depends on the the people like Carrie and I just the way we are grew up and the family we're in and stuff it's it's not something that we love and I don't, I don't think anyone loves it necessarily and but some people are just are more eager to do that type of stuff than others but even though sometimes it's scary to think about it, in other ways I'm happy that there are people that step up and do it because yeah it does well, make things change some, sometimes not always but yeah. at, at least pe- someone tries right so yeah, because, and, I mean, it is difficult when it's a disability broad spectrum group because, like you said, there are so many different disabilities. She needed help to go to the bathroom, to get up in the morning, to get dressed, to be, go to bed at night. Uh, and that requires hiring or having a support worker who can come into your house multiple times a day and help. That's something you and I as blind people don't necessarily need, Right. So there's such a wide array of things, but she needed stuff like that. And so she ended up wanting to be a teacher, but the government program that was set up for World War I vets who had been injured, it, there was some program that would help with these expenses if she went to, when she went to college. But if you told them you wanted to be a teacher and you were going to go to school to study for one, they would say, well, we're not going to fund you now because no disabled people are teachers. If you're in a wheelchair, you can't be a teacher probably. So we're, don't... Um, the program is useless for you. So she had to sort of skirt around that by saying she wanted to be a speech therapist because apparently that was acceptable, right? But then she ended up having to go to court to fight this because they weren't going to give her her teacher's license. They asked her very inappropriate questions and, again, called her a fire hazard, and she had to go to court. And the first African-American woman to be become a federal judge uh, in, 19, in the 19, early 1970s was the one who got her case, which, which was lucky. Because she just seemed like a more um, open person to dealing with this issue, where certain judges who are older and who had been around longer, white yeah, men, so new, might, new, fresh perspective, someone new coming in to the system exactly. who isn't set in their ways, and so she actually won that case, and, and this, that got all her of this name stuff, out in the media. all of this stuff just like further exemplifies how how much you have to keep fighting and you can't give up and it's it is exhausting Ugh. and and i understand too that there's a lot of people with disabilities who just aren't the type of person to keep fighting for things no nope. and it's and you know everyone has an, a different personality and and that's why it is important that things with with the canadian federation of the blind we all work together so that that way it doesn't feel like there's just nobody behind you or you're the one that has to do everything you know, it's it's it helps when it's a when it's a group of people all together doing these things. But even then, it's just I don't know. It's, yeah, it's, it's tough. I can I can understand some someone who's has a disability. I'll use blindness in this example, but who has an, a, that disability is like I don't want to keep fighting for these these things, and I don't want to keep telling people that this method is wrong and this and that. But it's you know, it's in a lot of ways, it's kind of our responsibility to be doing this because well. It's our lives. Yeah. It's... If you don't want to think that I, I hated politics for years and I didn't want to have anything to do with politics. But disability is political because it, it affects everything. It affects accessibility, federal, provincial, state issues if you're in the U.S., right? Like it involves everything. So Judy moved out to Berkeley because they were very accepting there and they had a program um, the sort of the Center for Independent Living was the big thing out there, and she she was invited to come out there, and she lived there, and then she moved to Washington for a while, and she did get into politics. 
Uh, and then she moved back to Berkeley, and that's when she had this big sit-in that I got into a couple episodes ago when I talked about the documentary. But the documentary, you learned a lot more in this book about this. It's called a sit-in, where basically they went to protest outside the federal buildings in San Francisco about um, 504, which was this Rehabilitation Act in the 70s that she discovered, but yet nobody was enforcing it. And there were multiple governments that went through, Nixon, Ford, finally Carter in the States in the 70s, who kept saying, oh, yes, we have this, this rehab bill on our desk and we're going to sign it. But they kept pu- putting it off. And eventually they just didn't want to wait anymore. And they felt like they were being led by the nose. So they took over this building. And when they went to talk to the government official in the building, he had no idea about this bill at all. He, they, ha- they were under the impression that it was being reviewed. And he, when they asked him point blank, he... He didn't know what they were talking about. So you can imagine what that would have felt like. But um, they ended up doing this sit-in. So they ended up, so they didn't leave. If they, when they went in there and found out that nothing had been done for this bill, they had a group of, of protesters, blind, deaf. They had translators there. They had personal attendants and friends helping. Um, and once they realized that they had been basically ignored they just said okay well we're not leaving this building until you until we can get this bill signed um which means that nobody with a disability in the states could be any more denied from using any service that was federal um so for anyone who's just tuning in you're listening to outlook here on radio western and we were talking about judy hoyman's book being human that Carrie recently read, and the sit-in that you're referring to was shown in the Crip Camp documentary, which is yes, um, Judy was involved with, and she's also in that documentary. And it's funny in in her book, she talks; she doesn't even mention this camp that's featured in the documentary. Right. Um, well, which, I, I know the camp was inspired the, the documentary, but there was a lot of other issues. Yeah. Surround, um, the camp was more the innocent younger days of. Yeah, she refer, refers to it, meaning that. Once she is old enough to go to school and she starts to feel a little more like the world's judging her, then camp every summer, which was a camp for disabilities, um, her parents would send her to. That was one place that she felt like she could fit in. So she does reference it, but she doesn't talk about it. She talks about the sit-in, which I find fascinating. I can't picture ever doing something like that. But sometimes you need militant acts like that to get the attention. Because even when civil rights was being a huge thing discussed in the 60s, um, and then in the 70s with feminism, uh, disability was still not talked about. And as she says, in the 50s, it was Brown ver- versus the Board of Education. It was a big landmark case in the states that, that desegregated the schools. In the 70s, it was Roe versus Wade, which was for abortion and women's abortion rights. So there are these things going on around her, uh, uh, but yet she had to do something. And you don't hear about it. Like, I didn't know about this lady until just a couple months ago right yeah exactly and then and then it makes me start to wonder veering off um the topic in the sense of the u.s but makes me start to wonder more about canada's history with disabilities and yeah and and then it it makes me wonder too and it this ties in again to us trying to to expand the canadian federation of the blind is just all of these movements are so organized and there's it's just like this underlying militant even if it's not as in the sense of violent with guns or something it's still this militant strategy of dealing with things and i just 
even though it's in some ways it's it's difficult i just i worry sometimes that in canada we just don't have that quite that same and i mean there have been with the protest recently and stuff there have been canadian ones obviously and people have been getting out and there is that that does go on here but i just i still feel like it's it's hard for things to change especially in somewhere a country like canada because we just don't have that same core part of us i find on a whole we don't have a militant spirit of course, no, not not. This is all nonviolent. Of course, no. Of course, the thing is, the thing is, um, af- after she did this whole sit-in in the seventies, and they finally got the um, president to sign this in the eighties, she traveled um, internationally for the first time, and she went to Germany to see sort of her relatives and things. And she made a point that nobody was talking about the Holocaust in the eighties when she visited. It was not even brought up, and she thought, you know, this is weird that these things such big things are so secretive and there's such shadowed secrets around it. But um, for this, yeah, she, she, she finally traveled internationally and she became involved with international disability organizations and she started to find out what it was like for people in other places and she did reference Canada there. And she actually said that the same thing you just basically said, that she wondered why in Canada there wasn't the same loudness to their voice right she just wondered what it was that was different between the u.s and canada and it's the thing that we point out all the time basically is what she concluded so yeah she was right on that one yeah but i don't yeah that's why these people like like judy inspire me but inspire me to what and and what does that mean what does that look like for me and in canada but um no the book is so interesting to sit in just to hear how it all went down yeah because i did watch no, well, I saw the, the Crip Camp documentary where they cover the sit-in, but I feel like in a documentary form, I mean, for one, I wasn't quite expecting it to get that political because it started off with the camp part, which is <laughs> a little more simple and easier just to kind of kick back and listen to. So when this sit-in came up, it just got kind of confusing and I didn't quite follow it. Um, but I think probably reading it in book form would be, yeah. it'd be a lot more, as books are a little more descriptive and, and stuff. Well, you and I don't stuff. have a lot of sit-in experience. So when you hear that, you'd be, you don't even really quite know what it is. Yeah. And like you say, it's, it's just hard to imagine, which is history in gen in general, where it's not, I'm, I'm definitely very interested in it, but in a lot of ways, it just, I want to be more interested in it. But when I, when I really try to, I just kind of lose my train of, like I lose my thought because it's, it's just something that I don't, I can't connect with in a lot of ways, but, I don't know. I guess that's also why it's fascinating. But Well, basically what she points out is that even now and back then, disability is hidden away. So then why would the world know about it? If, if, if you can't get a job if you have a disability and you can't, like in a wheelchair, she couldn't get around New York City. I don't know if they're still t- not gr- perfectly accessible with their subway system and stuff. She found it out west on the West Coast a lot more, a lot easier to get around when you're in a wheelchair and to hire someone to drive this accessible van or whatever she did. Whereas on more on the East Coast, she said it was less of a thing. But they had several cities who were agreeing to do sit-ins at the same time in, in federal offices in their cities across the country. And by the end, only their San Francisco and the LA offices were still having their sit-ins. People were starved out. The, the politicians with these buildings would order the water turned off and not let anybody in the building. So eventually, what do you do? Eventually, Judy went on a Hunnaker strike and said, that's not going to be the reason I leave and, and stop talking about what I'm talking about. So, But as long as we hide people and we don't see them in our everyday lives, then we're not going to have a voice. And if we don't have a voice, then 
nobody will listen and it'll be easy for policies to not include us and nobody will care to change that. So it's just a circular thing and it's exhausting most of the time, but it's sometimes exhilarating. Right. And it's, it's always one of those things. If you, if you look at it day by day, it's tough because things go back and forth. Sometimes things are good and then something else comes up. But if you do try and look at it as an overall picture, things over time slowly do improve. Even though these issues are still going on today, a lot of these same issues, they have gone somewhere. Like if you, if you go back a hundred years from now, like you said, we'd just be thrown into an institution or before that, even worse, kind of just out on the streets or whatever would happen like hundreds of years ago. So things do improve, but they don't just improve magically without any, any work done. So it's an exhausting book, but what a ride. So after the sit in, in the book, which I'm guessing is a pretty big part of it. Um, where does it go from there? So, yeah, once that happens, um, and it goes over about 11 days, um, after that, they lead up to 1990 and the Americans with Disabilities Act. They had this thing called, they had this, where a bunch of people with disabilities of all sorts showed up and they climbed up the steps, <laughs> which weren't accessible, to get to the federal buildings. And they were dragging themselves up people playing wheelchairs behind each other helping right where is everybody helps out like when they were in their sit-in they needed to get messages out the window but yet they weren't allowed to leave the building and then they got the phone lines cut off so they had deaf people who were deaf at the window signing out the window that's something you couldn't have done if you if one disability was was fighting for something you they leaned on each other and the black panthers helped and different religious groups helped and yeah and that that right there salvation army it goes to show that any of these people even if the the disability isn't the same and minority is not the same everyone is still in some some form of minority so they can all relate on that and they understand the struggle that everyone goes through in a different way but they all can relate to that to some degree so yep so after that all came about, she 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 worked in the Clinton off um, Clinton administration and I think the Obama administration, fighting for for disability rights as civil rights, just along with every other minority that's fought for their rights over the past fifty or so years. And you know she she got married and doing things that you know you're told as a disabled child you might never you might never get to do for. The reason that it's your disability, but she she just wanted to point out that she wanted everybody's mindsets to change. That the reason why you couldn't get up the steps, it's not your fault because you have your disability. The fault is in the, the society that does not make those steps accessible. And you know you could argue that a million times if you wanted, but you know basically that's what the story comes down to, and that's what she's trying to tell us. Yeah, I don't know. It sounds like a fascinating book, and I don't really know too much to ask besides just reading probably reading it because i don't know it's yeah get on that would you well i did have a bunch of other stuff going on this week i may have attempted to read it but um uh-huh. it's not that long all right well you get your linkedin set up and i'll read the book then <laughs> okay it's a deal um, <laughs> goodness yeah so i don't know if got a couple minutes left here if there's anything else in particular about the book was there 
was there a big highlight, something in particular that really stood out for you? Or was it just kind of everything as a whole? I think I just, she just managed to make a lot of the same points that I, I want to prove every day. And she just made them through example of her story, which admittedly is, an, is a fascinating one. But um, that's the thing with memoirs. They inspire you to something, but what is it? So that's kind of what I'm trying to figure out now, right? Like, obviously, as the days go by, the energy I felt reading it sort of evaporates. And then it comes back in bursts, and you want to do something. And that ties wanna... into the, that to me is the same same as a convention, where yep. or, you go to these, yep. going to these big conventions, whether they be the Canadian Federation of the Blind or the National Federation of the Blind, you get this energy from it and afterwards you do feel so inspired and, and I've been through that. But then after that, it, it does, it does wane a bit. And then you're kind of like, what am I really going to do? But I think the main thing is you don't always realize it, but it does still inspire you to do things. Even if they're little things that happen gradually over time, it's kind of not giving up and continuing to look for other resources or going to more conventions or finding more books that have these inspiring people and just keep, keep up on this type of material and this information to to just keep feeding that that inspiration and then it will things naturally will happen it's never going to happen if you if you force it and say okay what am what am i going to do i'm going to sit down right now and figure out what i can do exactly in this moment yeah i think it kind of has to happen more naturally or yeah i mean we grew up in the 80s and we grew up in canada and we were blind not in wheelchairs but uh, you know i could have made a million a million draw a million comparisons through that book yet i learned a whole bunch about what it's like to, to, to live with you know the, the the results of the polio and basically she just talked a lot of how, how about how disability is looked at medically it's a problem to be solved as long as it's something we need to fix or cure we need to be pitied we need to raise money to cure something or if you look at it as a social construct it's it's human rights like everybody deserves and one day it could be you and you you don't want it to get worse you want it to get better all right well said and i think that's going to be it for this week we're a little over time here so we will maybe be back next week if not we'll be back in two weeks the convention find us on twitter at outlook cfb and on facebook facebook.com slash outlook on radio western